Today is Friday, September 14th. It is the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross, a feast day that has been celebrated on the church calendar since the 7th century. That's when Emperor Heraclius recovered the relic of the true cross following the Persian invasion of Jerusalem. The true cross, which was uncovered and preserved by St. Helena's expedition to the Holy Land in the 4th century, was obviously an object of veneration and great devotion among Christians. There is perhaps no better day than today to explore yet another podcast episode on the Shroud of Turin, the cloth that wrapped the body of Jesus after he was removed from the cross when he was laid in the tomb. The cross was the instrument of his passion and death. The shroud is proof of his resurrection. This is Father Peter Mangum, rector of the Cathedral of St. John Berkman's and diocesan administrator of the Diocese of Shreveport. And our topic this week relates to a frequent question that comes from those who really examine the image on the cloth. Why are there no side images of the man of the shroud visible? We have a clear frontal and dorsal perspective of the man, but nothing that demonstrates a side view of the body. This is a great question, and the answer is, again, related to something we've dealt with before, the process of image formation, how many scientists believe the image was made. Hi, everyone, and I'm Dr. Cheryl White from LSU Shreveport, joining my co-host, Father Peter, again today for this great discussion. I know Father Peter recalls that when we were in Rome last year, we visited the Church of Santa Croce, the Church of the Holy Cross in Jerusalem, but it is in Rome, of course. The late medieval structure is actually built atop an ancient subterranean chapel, the private one of St. Helena, that houses many of the passion relics that she brought back with her from the Holy Land in the 4th century. By tradition, the floor of this ancient chapel was covered with soil brought back from the site of Calvary, so that the church truly would be in Jerusalem. There we saw a large relic of the true cross, and I can only be in awe thinking of how many Christians made the pilgrimage to see this, and how many would have venerated it as the instrument of Jesus' death. It is powerful historical testimony to centuries of the faith, and the desire of the faithful to remember in a tangible way. The same, of course, can be said of viewing the Shroud of Turin. Whether or not one believes it to be the authentic burial cloth of Jesus, it is, at a minimum, an incredible icon of the suffering and death of a specific figure in history. The desire to know more about it brings us to this question today. The process of image formation is receiving more attention and scholarship today than any other area of Shroud study. And scientists are in agreement that while there may be many hypotheses, there is only one process that matches all of the 17 distinct characteristics that must be met. Eleven of those are related specifically to the body, six of those related to the cloth. The only process that satisfies all 17 of these characteristics? Some type of intense radiation. Furthermore, there is a specific method within that process that explains the flat, but relatively undistorted representation of an actual human body. It is absolutely true that when looking at the Shroud of Turin, there are no side images. But there is also no image visible on top of the head between the frontal and dorsal images. This unique aspect of the Shroud points to something that scientists refer to as vertical mapping. Simply put, the image formation occurred in a way that correlates to the direction of gravity during a process that must have collapsed the cloth toward a central axis. Any other process would have produced a distorted figure. And yes, 
side images as well. This is something that is discussed at length in the critical summary published by Dr. John Jackson, the nuclear physicist and lead scientist of the 1978 Shroud of Turin research project. The explanation of this process, matching all of the required characteristics to produce the image as it is, with no side views visible, is something to which Dr. Jackson has dedicated his life's work. Remember that Dr. Jackson will be with us in a month from now, mid-October, for the 40th anniversary of that research project, right here in Shreveport at the Cathedral of St. John Berkman's. He will be sharing with us his findings and ongoing research about this unique image formation process. It bears saying again that this cannot be reproduced in any laboratory in the world today. Although the method and process can be explained scientifically, it cannot be recreated. The lack of side images of the man of the shroud is just one more way in which the cloth speaks to a supernatural origin. This is something we've discussed in previous podcasts many times, but it always merits saying again, the greatest mystery of this cloth rests with the image of a man, scourged, crucified, capped with thorns, and pierced in the side. Remember that the image has always been the driver of Shroud investigation. It was the 1898 photograph by Secunda Pia that launched all of the inquiry of the 20th century, bringing faith and reason together to explore the most remarkable artifact in human history. While scientists pushed to know more about the cloth and the image, the church responded by making official a devotion to the holy face, drawing upon the face of the man of the shroud now fully visible for the first time. Also, when the Shroud of Turin research project was launched, it too was prompted by new information about the image. When recently developed VP-8 equipment of NASA in 1976 demonstrated for the first time that the image is three-dimensional. The medieval pilgrim did not see what Secunda Pia saw. Secunda Pia could not know what those NASA scientists saw in 1976. The Sturp team of 1978 was only beginning to understand the image and even admitted at the time that perhaps it was better described as what it is not than by what it is. The history of this remarkable journey of examination leads us to wonder what new secrets remain to be unlocked in the future. There is no question that the future indeed holds great promise for ongoing Shroud study. Please remember to tune in again next week as we explore an interesting archaeological discovery that not only adds to our understanding of Roman crucifixion, but also thereby adds to our knowledge about the image of the man of the Shroud. In the meantime, please calendar those dates of October 11th through the 13th as we welcome Dr. John Jackson and his wife, Rebecca Jackson, photographer Barry Schwartz, and another noted Shroud scholar, Russ Brialt. All are welcome to this event. More information is available on the Cathedral website at sjbcathedral.org. As I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, Today, as with every September 14th, is the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross. We are so fortunate here at the cathedral to have a relic of the true cross, which rightly stands atop all the other relics which the faithful venerate here. It is venerated not as an instrument of torture, but as the means of our salvation. It was because of the wood of his life-giving cross that we are brought to the glory of the resurrection, as we hear in the prayer after communion of this Mass today. In fact, all the prayers are so beautiful, and they speak clearly to what we believe, lex orandi, lex credendi, on full display. 
making the cross to save the human race with our possibly meriting the grace of his redemption in heaven as we hear in the collect i close with the words from the preface of the eucharistic prayer for you place the salvation of the human race on the wood of the cross so that where death arose life might again spring forth and the evil one who conquered on a tree might likewise on a tree be conquered until next week thank you for joining us for who is the man of the shroud Thank <laughs> you.